When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, chemistry and bands. Well, I think a lot of ingredients are used for marketing fluff. If brands just say, what's the newest, hottest ingredient? Let's get that in the product. Many years ago, they had uh, formulas that contained an ingredient that under certain conditions converted to formaldehyde. If we invested the amount of research that goes into other areas for hair growth, I think we'd find something. I, you know, people are suspecting you know, that things may help hair to grow back. Really, the only way to turn back time on your skin or to really look younger is... I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating, a review. So our first guest is a chemist who specializes in creating formulas for the things that we put on our skin and our hair. And it's really interesting to hear... From a scientific perspective, what works, what doesn't, and what is just marketing? And even if you're somebody who doesn't use these products, I think it's really interesting to learn just how the beauty industry really works, how these different things can affect the body, and for men, why we haven't figured out how to cure baldness yet. This is cosmetic chemist Valerie George. Basically, like, as a cosmetic chemist, what, what are you doing? Well, I could be doing a lot of things. Uh, it depends what my family thinks I do and then what I actually do uh, in the lab, probably two different things. But for the most part, I am working on a lab bench with cosmetic ingredients, and I'm creating formulas for brands to sell to consumers. You're using ingredients? Like, what are the ingredients? I don't even know, like, really what I'm putting yeah. on my own bo- body, honestly. Yeah, it's a bunch of different stuff. It could be natural ingredients like oils or butters or gums, which help thicken formulas. It could be an emulsifier that helps oil and water come together because like Italian dressing, you know, which likes to separate and then you have to shake it before you use it. The same thing would happen to a cosmetic product unless you emulsify it like creamy Italian dressing. So we may be putting emulsifiers in. We're using preservatives. We're using silicones. We're using... Uh, petrochemical derived materials that maybe help uh, skin stay moist or help a product be more pleasing when you apply it. So instead of it being really dry and draggy, it might be really slippy and lubricating feeling. So it's a bunch of different stuff. And I think there's 
probably at least 25,000 ingredients on the market that someone can choose from. So that's the thing, right? Like you hear 25,000 different products, which for me is like, good Lord. Mm -hmm. Like how much of this stuff, this works? How much of this stuff is like, well, (laughs) we could sell it because it's got a pretty picture on it. Yeah, well, I think a lot of ingredients are used for marketing fluff, if, if I have to be honest. A lot of them do really great things. A lot of them have great research behind them. But I think a lot of brands just say, what's the newest, hottest ingredient? Let's get that in the product and let's talk about it. I think a little bit of that is changing because consumers are smarter and they're saying, well, how much did you put in? And then the you know the brand is being forced to disclose that. But as a chemist, I would say probably a lot of it is you know doing the things like it's helping form the structure of the product it's helping the product feel good when you apply it it's helping the product do what it's supposed to do and then a lot of the other stuff is just marketing fluff i would say so i guess from your if i'm understanding correctly so like in theory from a chemistry point like this should do something it's either doing something for the formula or doing something for the consumer when they apply the product. And in theory, you know, when used a certain way in a formula or used at a certain percentage, it could be doing something. Maybe sometimes it's doing nothing and it's strictly marketing fluff. Is, is there anything that you would say like, ooh, people should not be doing that? Like from a chemistry perspective, like, look, maybe we shouldn't put acid on our bodies. I think acid's actually a really great example. I think a lot of consumers over exfoliate their skin because you think, oh, let me get all this dead skin off of my face. Do you, do you exfoliate? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I guess, I'm gonna say I guess, probably not. <laughs> you probably that, don't, okay. My but, wife has some kind of scrub thing that I put, it's black, it feels like sandpaper, and I wash my face with it, so. Okay, yes. great. So you're exfoliating with physical exfoliant, but a lot of exfoliants use chemicals to exfoliate the skin because a physical exfoliant is only going to go over the skin surface and physically sandpaper all the dead skin off of your face, which is great. But to really get all these dead skin cells off, you need to use chemicals to help loosen them, and then you can physically exfoliate. So the chemical exfoliants are usually acids. They're at a very low pH, and people want tons of acids in their skincare products, but it can be really harsh on skin, and then they're exfoliating every single day. So they're over-exfoliating their skin, which is making their skin barrier compromised, which is leading to unhealthy skin. So it's kind of doing you know, the opposite of what they want it to do, but I would say, yeah, consumers are over-exfoliating, and in general, just putting too much stuff on their face at all times. Is that always been the case or has that gotten like a lot worse like now we're really doing that too much i think it's probably being overdone too much because i'm sure people are seeing things on social media and saying oh i have to try this or that or you know with a a popularity of k-beauty um you know the skin that you see in the imagery of K-Beauty products is really beautiful. It's like glass, it's so smooth. Now there's dolphin skin, like who wouldn't want skin as smooth and glossy as a dolphin, right? Um, But I think it's giving an unrealistic expectation of what can be achieved for most people. And so people are over applying these products to try to achieve those looks. And I would say people have always used products, right? But I think the over application or misuse or using ingredients 
that are too high too much of the time. I would say that's probably more recent. When you come up with like a new formula, are you designing the best formula first and then figuring out like if this is going to work on people or do you kind of like, all right, well, what's Mm -hmm. going to be safe for people and then figure out how to do it? I think it's probably a bit of both and everyone has a different approach to doing it. So I'm a minimalist formulator, which means I don't use anything I don't need to use. And I start from that approach first. So I will write down everything that has to go into a certain formula. So for example, if you say, Valerie, I need a hair conditioner for this hair type and I need it to do these things. I say, what has to go in a hair conditioner? Like what's the bare minimum? And this is more thinking about the formula and less for the consumer. So I'll write down all the things that like, okay, a conditioner needs water, it needs oil, it needs an emulsifier, it needs a preservative. And then I'll start to say, okay, but what about the consumer now? So then I'll start to add in the things that I think would benefit and give the performance that a consumer is looking for. And all the while, I'm like, how do I keep this within the regulatory limits so it is safe to use the whole time? Some people have a more is more approach and they'll just like dump everything they can from the get-go in the first in the first pot. How regulated is it? Like, are the regulations pretty good or is it kind of like supplements where basically there is no, no real regulation? Well, I think people have a perception that the United States, which would include Canada, they follow a lot of the same regulations as the U.S., is not regulated in terms of cosmetics and that in the EU it is much safer. But I think that's an improper way of looking at it. Cosmetics legally are required to be safe to be on the market. That's the regulation. And you get there by two ways. Whatever you say is in the bottle has to be in the bottle. And you have to guarantee that um, it does what it says it does and that it's safe for the consumer to use. That's the law. So how you get to the safety part is up to the brand to decide. And it's on the responsibility of the brand or the manufacturer to do all the safety testing and make sure it's safe to go to market. In the EU, um, they actually give you a framework of how you do the safety steps to make sure the product is safe. So the outcome is the same in both geographies if you're doing the work to get there. Um, The other thing that I will say is um, colorants are actually more regulated in the United States than anywhere else in the world. They actually check Every shipment, every package of color that comes into the U.S., like a dye for a product or even food coloring, they inspect every shipment. And we have a huge restricted colorants list that many other geographies don't have. Is there a reason for that? Um, I think colorants can be dangerous and they can have impurities. So maybe it's that. When we look at kind of the human body and things like that, like are we pretty fragile or pretty durable when it comes to what we can kind of put on ourselves? Uh, I think we're pretty durable. I, I, re- I really think that, especially with cosmetics. I mean, a cosmetic is something that is supposed to beautify or cleanse the skin. It's not supposed to uh, cause any physiological changes within your body. That would be considered a drug. That's the definition in, in most places. And so I think from, from that perspective, if it's truly a cosmetic product, uh, you know, I think we're we're pretty durable. I think there is a lot of other stuff people should be worried about, like pollution particulate in the air that we're breathing in, or maybe things that we're eating. 
Um, when, when you kind of look at different products and different formulas, is everybody's different. But is everybody really different? Like this works for this person and it doesn't work for this person. Or is it like it works or it doesn't work? And maybe it works a little bit better or a little bit worse, but it's really kind of, we're all kind of the same. Or are we all really different? That's a great question. I would say it depends on the product and what it's intended to do. So I think most products, whether they're for you or not for you, really depends on the aesthetics. So I have, I used to have really dry skin. Now I have combination skin. But when my skin was really dry, it would be appropriate for me to put on really heavy, thick products that were super occlusive because my dry skin needed them and could handle them. Someone who has really oily skin would say, well, that product doesn't work for me because my skin's very oily, I'm prone to breakouts, and this product would just give me, give me more breakouts, right? But from if we looked at an actual functionality of the product, let's say the product was designed to uh, combat redness. From a functionality perspective, it would still likely cause or combat redness on my skin, which is dry, and your skin, which is oily, it would still do that. But the perception would be this product's not for me because it's occlusive and heavy. I would say a majority of the products try to target as many skin types as possible. And I think consumers are not necessarily great judges of whether or not a product makes a difference or not. I think to when they speak, they like it or not. I think they're... um, you know, that's just a general, do I like it or not? Does my skin feel good when I wear it? Do I like how my skin looks? I don't know that they can actually say, oh, yes, I see my skin is more firm or or more elastic. I think there's a reason those things have to be validated clinically. For the most part, a lot of products work for most consumers, I would say. I I don't know if this is necessarily your area, right? But if they do like clinical trials or whatever the right word should be, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's clinical trials, like, is that stuff usually pretty sound, right? Or is it kind of the old Homer Simpson quote of, 60, you know, 60, statistics can prove anything. 60% of people know that, right? Like, are the clinical trials really <laughs> sound? Or are they like, look, this is funded by X company, and so of course they get this result? It's very interesting. I mean, claims testing can be sound and solid a lot of the time. Anytime you see a claim, it's important to say, okay, well, what did they evaluate it against? Because I think... Claims testing works, but, you know, marketing manipulates it in some kind of way. Does that answer your question? It so does, it's a little right? Homer Simpson because marketing twists and contorts it and says, wow, this is really sensational. But then the test data are just facts. It's how you, how you spin it. Right. It's kind of like numbers can prove anything if you want them to prove something, right? You can find a way to make yes. this work in you your You can design favor. the study to make it work, yeah. Is there a like? Is there a part of the body or an aspect of the body that like this part is a lot harder in the sense that like, look, anybody can do this for the hand, but wait till you get to lips. Wait till you get to hair. Like, what's the difficult part of it? You know, so I I was on the skin side before. Um, I've dabbled in color cosmetics, and you know, just personally, I, I didn't like them. Um, and then hair, I really loved hair because it's so instantaneous. Like your hair either looks good or it doesn't when you apply a product to it. Whereas skin, I think is like a longer term payoff. You're like, wow, I hope in 20 years this 
eye cream I paid $200 for is making a difference. You know, you just have to like hope for that. You'll never really know, right? And then I've hired people who, uh, so for me, hair is really easy. It's something that comes naturally to me. Whereas I've hired chemists who say, oh yeah, I can make a shampoo, I can make a conditioner. And then they come into my hair lab and they're like, wow, this is really hard. And, you know, they didn't think it would be that challenging to create um, a styling product or a conditioner that worked for most hair types or a specific hair type. Um, conversely, I've had people leave my lab from hair uh, and they've had like a really good training in hair and then they go to skin and they're like, oh my God, what do I do? I have, I have no idea what to do, you know? Um, they're just like paralyzed. Um, I found that anytime I try to talk to people about hair color chemistry, if I have a challenge or I'm looking for an ingredient, I'll say, oh, it's for a hair color project. And then they clam up because they're like, wow, that's so hard. And I'm like, okay, pretend I never use the word hair color. What advice would you give me? And all of a sudden they're fine. So I, I think a lot of it's um, in the mind. I think a lot of it's, you know, if you know the subject matter and you have good critical thinking skills, you're going to do just fine in any subsect. But, um, you know, for me, like nails would be hard because that's really like a polymers and coatings chemistry, right? So just depends. Like where along the lines of evolution are we kind of with this? Are we just getting started or are we more towards the, like, we kind of figured out everything we can pretty much do and the rest is going to be marketing spin at this point? Like if, if one was just beginning and oh, 10, yeah. we are at the end, mm. like where do you think we would be? You know, for skin, I think we're starting to, you know, we know a lot about skin. It's physiology, what's happening inside the skin, mechanisms that work with different ingredients. There's, I feel like we're pretty good there. There's probably a lot more research to be had. But, you know, if we stop doing research today, I think we'd be in a pretty good spot from a consumer perspective. One area of skin that's a bit of a hot topic in cosmetic chemistry is the microbiome. And the microbiome speaks to the natural bacteria and other microorganisms, yeast, that live on our skin. Uh, we're, we're covered in these microorganisms and they live in a certain balance with each other. And there's a school of thought that when this balance gets out of balance, that's when different um, skin conditions may arise or it may lead to an increase in underarm odor or something like that. So that's a really hot and heavy area of research within skincare that I think we've just, you know, put our little fingernail into. We're not even like, we haven't even put our foot into it yet. Uh, but there's cosmetic chemists who will say that that's not a real thing or, you know, they're really skeptical on whether it adds value or not. So that's an area where I would say we don't know anything in the scope of things and we need to learn a whole lot more. When it comes to hair, Hair is very interesting because it really had its golden age of research in the 60s. And after that, hair research really slowed down until perm chemistry in the 80s. That really slowed down after people stopped getting perms in the 90s. And so I think people thought, oh, hair is biologically dead. We've learned everything we absolutely, absolutely need to know about hair and it slowed down a bit. But now there's been a resurgence in hair research because since the 1960s or 70s, we have new instrumentation, we have new knowledge, new ways of looking at things. And so people are going back and looking at hair and saying, wow, there's actually a ton of stuff we didn't even know. And, you know, they're making lots of interesting discoveries. I feel like I can speak for all men in some regards in that as long as my hair is yeah. there, I don't care. Like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't jinx the hair. Yeah. Just 
don't even look at it. Like, yeah. I don't even look at my hair. Like, don't you guys come up you with bring something. Up, you bring <laughs> right? up such an excellent point because I would say in hair growth, if we invested the amount of research that goes into other areas for hair growth, I think we'd find something. I think for hair growth, like, yeah, minoxidil's around, but other than that, you know, people are suspecting you know, that things may help hair to grow back. The, the mechanisms are complicated, but I think if we could put more resources there, we may come up with some viable options. How are we not doing that? Yeah. Like, I feel like men would pay a lot of money. I mean, I know some guys yeah. like, woo. I mean, companies are researching, but they're not putting the same funds towards that as they are as maybe, you know, novel therapies for treating disease. I think it you know, hair loss is kind of lower on the totem pole when it comes to cancer research, and probably rightfully so, right? But um, I think if, yeah, if we did throw a lot of money at it, I think there's a lot of stuff that we could learn. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Harder questions? Oh, I don't know. What works? There is no miracle product for anti-aging. A lot of people will say, what can I use to turn back time for the wrinkles on my skin? And the answer is nothing, probably not even plastic surgery, but you can use sunscreen. Sunscreen is the best anti-aging product because it prevents the wrinkles from forming or reduces them, uh, the propensity of their formation before it even starts. So if you can wear sunscreen every day, no matter what, reapply and do that diligently and you should see some really good results um, as you progress through your years versus someone who's unprotected. Does the SPF stuff matter, right? Do I need, is 15 different than like, I've seen SPF, I feel like 500 out there, right? Is that is that different? Yeah, yeah I would say um, the most important thing is to wear a sunscreen that you, you like. I mean, SPF 15 is a good minimum to wear. The sunscreen should be broad spectrum because the broad spectrum rays, the UV, in sun, sun, rays, there's two types, UVA and UVB. UVA causes aging, loosely, and skin cancer, and UVB causes burning, and possibly Uh also skin cancer. So you need something that covers both of those. So you'll know it covers both if it says broad spectrum. That's the most important thing. And the second is that you like the texture of it, so that you actually wear it and are willing to put a lot of it on because you could have an SPF 100 and it's broad spectrum guaranteed to prevent you from aging. But if it is cakey and greasy on your skin and burns your eyeballs, you're not going to want to wear it. Right? So I think the SPF factor is important, probably more important, broad spectrum, a texture you love. Since you are a hair care expert, what is harder shampoo? What's harder, shampoo, conditioner, or shampoo and conditioner? Oh, I would say a two-in-one. I feel like that's a rip-off. You're kind of getting like an okay shampoo and then like an okay conditioner, but you're getting one bottle, whereas you could have like a really good shampoo and a really good conditioner, but you have to buy two bottles. For your hair, which is short, do you you use conditioner? Yes. A two-in-one might be fine because you have like shorter hair, you know? I do. Well, my wife has. I use what my wife provides, and I will say. Okay. It is better. My husband's the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. it is. But It is. But bef- yeah. before then, I was always a shampoo and conditioner man, and now my hair is like, oh, it is a little bit nicer. I have to say that. 
It is, yeah. A two-in-one, though, from a formulation perspective is hard because it's two conflicting chemistries. Typically, cleansers have uh, negatively charged um, cleansing agents in them. They're called anionic. And conditioners have positively charged cationic materials in them. And opposites attract, right? Just like a magnet and like Paula Abdul said. So the negative and the positive will attract to each other. And that's not supposed to happen in the bottle, right? That's incompatible. So the trick with the two-in-one is how can you prevent negative cleansing things from positive conditioning things from competing with each other and complexing? If people are coloring their hair, are they kind of ruining it? Yes. Oh, that's not good, is it? Yeah. No, no, it's really damaging because earlier I mentioned hair is biologically dead, right? But it's, I say, chemically alive. I'm waiting for other people to quote me and then, like, put my name like, after the quote. Day. Hair is bi- biologically dead but chemically alive. Um, and so with hair color, lightener, perms, straighteners, all that kind of stuff, you're changing the chemistry of the hair and not in a good way. And that leads to hair being damaged, and you can't actually repair that damage once it's done. Oh, no. My wife is uh, gray. It's a beautiful woman, gray at 23. And she said, like, the amount of hair care products that have been in and out of this house. Ooh. Yeah. The best you can do is mask the damage that hair color does. That's the best you can do. And that's what a really good conditioner and a gentle cleanser will help with. Like, I guess kind of on a philosophical <laughs> sense, right? Like, are we... Are we destroying people with this, right? Like, you can look better. You can change it. Like, are we creating kind of a monster in ourselves with all of this? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the grass is always greener. If I had really fine, soft, silky hair, I'd probably be like, wow, I wish my hair was wavy and curly, which it is now, right? So I think, you know, part of it is, you know, as humans, it's our nature to always want to aspire to, to be something different or be something better or to fit the image of what we think that looks like. And I don't think it'll ever change beauty products or not. I just think that that's part of who we are. Is, you know, when you see somebody or that looks like their hair is like this, their face is like this, their skin is like this, is it ever the product or is it really like it's their genetics, it's who they are, and the product maybe helps a little bit? Mm. I think a lot of it is genetics. Lifestyle is also a big one. I mentioned at least for skin, proper sun protection, staying out of the sun is key. Not smoking is key. Smoking degrades collagen. Um, You know, diet helps, um, at least making sure you're not nutritionally deficient. So then you could take your supplements, right? Um, I think those are like probably the biggest factors in how our skin looks. And then a really tiny portion of it is product. And I almost even don't want to say that. I hesitated a little bit because really the only way to turn back time on your skin or to really look younger is plastic surgery or some type of more invasive dermatological procedures like lasers or resurfacing or injections or Botox or and, and fillers. I think that's really procedures are the only way you're going to get the most bang for your buck. A cream is probably not going to do that. If you put a number on it, like a person who looks like this, whatever that this is, mm-hmm. what percentage of it is because of the product that they were using? Like 10%, 1%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%
20? I'd like, say, what would you... I would say... Part of me wants to say like 10 or less, but then I will say there is power in having a beauty routine because a lot of people will say, my skin is so... I have a friend. We were in Vegas a couple weeks ago for an ingredient trade show, and she was like, my skin is so dry. And I looked at her, and she literally has like lizard snake skin all over her face. And she's like, I think I need to go to the doctor and get like you know, this invasive chemical peel done. And I was like, do you exfoliate your skin at all? And she was like, no. And I'm like, why don't you start there? And, you know, your snake skin is going to fall off your face. And it's little things like that. We're just having a little small routine. It kind of doesn't matter what the product is. I think that's the biggest benefit that you're going to see with your skin. Are you, you know, washing your face with a gentle cleanser in the morning and in the evening? Are you moisturizing? Are you using SPF? And I think if you can do those things, cleanse, SPF, moisturize, you're going to see a hu- exfoliate, you're going to see a huge improvement in your skin alone. So that's why I would say maybe like 10 to 15% is product. Maybe 20. Is there a price point where I can get something that's good enough, right? Like I'm not mm-hmm. buying the $9 mm-hmm. gallon jug of moisturizer but I'm also not buying the $5,000 whatever. Like, is there a price point where you're like, look, that, that'll get you there? I would say it's tough because I'm a sucker for all kinds of products. And, you know, I'll see products that I know are insanely priced and I still want to buy them because I have some shred of hope they're going to provide benefit to my skin. It's awful. And I just know deep down it's not true. So I would probably say there are a lot of great products you can get at the drugstore that are just as good as ones that you can get in the premier beauty stores like Ulta and Sephora. So don't feel the need to go out of your budget to get something. Again, focus on the routine and make sure you have a gentle cleanser for your skin, an exfoliator, a moisturizer, and SPF, and just right there, you should be okay, even with, you know, products, if you choose to get them at CVS or Walmart or whatever, the mainstream stuff that's under 20 bucks. On the hair care side, for me, um, I, I don't like to spend a lot of money on shampoo because I think, you know, a lot of companies are using the same technologies and it's, you know, a little more economic. So I would say probably skimp on the shampoo and really invest in a really good conditioner. That would be be my recommendation, and I would probably say a really good conditioner should cost somewhere between twenty and forty bucks. When you look at like the, the ingredients in different products, right? Like, is it that different between brands for the same thing? Like, or is it they use A and B, and this company go uses B and A, or is it like, whoa, this this one's different? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, if there were comparable textures, they're probably using a lot of the same stuff. I would say it's a little different with a company like L'Oreal who actively patents combinations of ingredients or different youth methods for ingredients. So one example is uh, they have a vitamin C serum um, from a brand they purchased called SkinCeuticals, and it's a vitamin C, E, and ferulic serum. And this serum is like over $100 for like a little itty bitty bottle. It's so insane. And people are like, is it worth the money? And it's worth the money if you see a difference in your skin. The problem with vitamin C is that it's not stable. 
And so L'Oreal has done a lot of work to, or I, I think this was actually done under the SkinCeuticals brand, but they did the work to say, say that, okay, well, we know that vitamin E helps stabilize vitamin C, ascorbic acid. It's okay stable, but if we add ferulic acid into the picture, it's ultra stable. And so the consumer is actually getting stable vitamin C delivered to the skin. So in a case like that, I would say L'Oreal's doing something different. I mean, everyone uses ferulic acid, everyone uses ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, and everyone's using vitamin E, but it's like the combination and how they put it together that's different. And a consumer probably doesn't know these things um, unless they say, why can't I find a dupe for it? And you know, they have to shell out the money for this $125 serum. Um, but on the formulator side, you know, I, I can see those types of things. But I would say for the most part, we're all kind of using the same materials. Is there been a product or is there anything that like, look, this is going to kill you five years early, but damn, you'll look good. Like, has there ever, ooh. is there anything that's been developed like, ooh, this vitamin KB riboflavin 6, you're going to look great. You're going to die 10 years earlier. Like, has there ever been anything like that? Oh, gosh. This is so awful. But uh, are you aware of a product called Brazilian Blowout? My wife does it. Okay. Well, their stuff now is fine, (laughs) allegedly. Okay. Their stuff now is fine. But um, many years ago, they had uh, formulas that contained an ingredient that under certain conditions converted to formaldehyde, which is, uh, you know, can, can be considered toxic and carcinogenic. So they didn't have formaldehyde in the products. They had ingredients that converted to formaldehyde under, under the right conditions, and it was helping uh, smooth and straighten the hair. I did this treatment many times. I loved the way my hair looked. I mean, would my scalp crust over and fall off over the course of a week and I couldn't go out in public? Yes, but after that, I felt like a supermodel with my hair being so straight and shiny. I never had to blow dry it. It was awesome. And I knew it probably wasn't um, very healthy to use or have done, especially like if I'm wearing a respirator and the stylist doing my hair is wearing a respirator. It's like probably not ideal for anyone. And in fact, a lot of people have... Um, claim to be injured by that product. So I would say that is one, and it's a reason why uh, those formulas are actually restricted now. So they they had to reformulate their product and all that kind of stuff. This is a more philosophical question, right? But like at what point do you think that people would stop in the sense that, all right, this product is going to make you look great, but five years takes off your life, 10 years, 15, 20. I would say people would stop. A hair loss I think a hair loss product, someone would say, yeah, I'll take five years off my life if I had a full head of hair the whole time. Don't you? Yeah, I, I could go. I could go 10. I could see people saying 10, right? Because, right, obviously yeah. the difference Well, do you know how long you're going to live? That's well, the Well, I mean, if it's like, question, hey, I'm going right? to live to 100, sure, I'd take 20 off to live to 80 and look, yeah. look really good the whole time, right? But the, the trick is you don't know. So if you're 58 and you only get to live to 53, is that five years worth it? Yeah. Now, if you're like the difference between 30 and 25, like, oh, the percentages, yeah. right? I'll be balding like, a little bit. 
I'll wear a hat. I think most people would would be okay with 10% of their lives. Maybe to have a full head of hair. Tw- yeah. To, for for anything that would make them look like great. I could go as high as 20%. Like I bet I bet people would go 20. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think people wouldn't even question yeah. it to to some degree. Um what do you think of beauty influencers? And that can be as general or as specific as you want that question to be, right? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. People who are... I think beauty influencers can be great because a lot of them go beyond beauty. And also, I would say, are more like lifestyle beauty influencers, or maybe they've evolved that way. And I think it's really incredible because they create these communities of diehard fans who um, are willing to support them through thick and thin no matter what and I have a couple friends who are beauty influencers and there are people who they this influencer has changed this person's life for the better or they've helped them get through a bout of depression or help them through a really challenging life situation or they keep this person going and that is pretty cool and that's actually what attracts me to the beauty industry especially hair is if you you know sometimes I think I can't believe I left like real research to come work in the beauty industry. But then I think, you know, I'm helping create safe products that really change the way people feel about themselves. And that's pretty powerful because when you have a good hair day, you feel unstoppable. Like you can go out and do anything you you put your mind to when your hair is looking its best. And that feels really good. And so beauty influencers can also be really influential in in that type of way and helping people feel empowered. I think beauty influencers cannot be great when they spread misinformation. A lot of them, you know, think they know a lot of stuff about products or chemistry or how the industry from my side is regulated and it's not the case and they say a lot of things that aren't true. They'll say an ingredient is known to do this and it's like, well, not not really. That's not how it works. So I think they can do a lot of damage in that respect as well. Is there one thing that you would say that's recently, right? Like we're recording this basically the beginning of August 2022 that you would say, oh, that yeah. no, no, we can't. Either that that's not safe <sighs> or that like that doesn't work, right? Like stop yeah. doing that, people. Well, you know, I, I've tried to stay off social media a little bit, so I can't think of anything like too currently, but – you know, something that always kicks up every now and again is people are telling other people to avoid products with preservatives or preservatives are dangerous. And I just get so frustrated because what's more dangerous is having a gram-negative bacteria growing in a product and then you become really sick and blind or you die. So to me, the risk of being exposed to a preservative that's proven to be safe is way better than having microorganisms growing in your product, right? Another thing I've seen lately actually is uh, there are apps that are out there and you can scan a product with your phone and it will tell you if the product is toxic or not toxic. And so these influencers are going to Target and Walmart and Sephora and they're scanning pictures and giving like, oh, thumbs up, this one's good or down, you know, thumbs down, this one's bad. And I don't like that because those apps aren't really based on based on grounded scientific information. They're typically not run by uh, toxicologists. And in just looking at a product on the shelf, you don't know enough about the formula or what safety testing was done 
to determine if a product is safe or not. Like that's what toxicologists are for. So I don't like those because they'll walk up to a product by, you know, maybe Procter and Gamble and say, oh, this is toxic or bad for your hair. Don't use it. And I'm like, well, actually, out of any company in the world, they probably did the most um, safety testing for this product. And I would bet that it's safe for use. Like they wouldn't put an unsafe product on the market. So um, I think that is something I wish people would stop doing is posting these videos of products and saying they're toxic off of an app that who knows who made it. That's what I've always felt like is missing in kind of the influencer-like generation. Is, is Not in generation, but that influencer place is like the context isn't there, right? Because I can go to WebMD. Yeah. I can go to WebMD and my headache is anything from a headache to signs that you I've got cancer. Ebola virus, right? Like the context <laughs> of yeah. understanding what it is. Yeah. Um, for formulas, now you, you've, how long have you been making your own? Um, just since March of this year, I actually just branched out from corporate America and opened my own company, Simply Formulas, where, uh, yeah, I just create formulas for different brands and work on different projects. I also have another company called Simply Ingredients, where I sell uh, my favorite ingredients that I've ever come across to people like you at home uh, so that you can make your own products. And I have fun recipes on my website. That's simply-ingredients.com. And um, in general, um, I just love beauty. I love science. I love talking about it. We could probably have an eight hour episode if you wanted. Uh, but I, yeah, I just love talking about beauty in general. So you can find me online as a science communicator and really just kind of a avid proponent for transparency in the industry. And I have uh, my own podcast with a co-host called the beauty brains, you know, for, for, for your formulas, uh, when, when, you know, we talk about that, right? Like what's kind of different about yours? than other ones that people might necessarily see. Yeah, so there are a lot of uh, chemists or companies that will uh, make formulas. I'm the only uh, company, independent formulation company, focusing on hair and hair color formulas. Uh, But what I think is so special about what I do is that I used to be executive vice president of R&D at a very large hair care brand. And in addition to running R&D, I oversaw regulatory quality, packaging, and then uh, manufacturing in the last year that I was there. So I have a lot of experience just outside of being in a beaker that I think is a big point of difference for me. I want to thank Valerie so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And we've also included her information in the episode description. If you want to learn even more about what kind of scientific research goes into creating these formulas, she has a fantastic podcast that goes a lot further into details. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Well, this wasn't the way that I was going to start this, but what do you have? What about Charizard? (laughs) Charizard from the original set in America, because there's other original sets. A PSA 10 Charizard can go for... $300,000, $400,000, $500,000. Three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. Now, what's a PSA? Because you're you're <laughs> you're hitting us with some Pokemon lingo that nobody knows what that means. I'm not. So, uh, so PSA is one of the one of the few uh, reputable uh, card grading companies. So you send it's it's all a scam. First oh. off, you send them your card, they grade it, and it automatically raises the value. It's like say, you know, like I have a Charizard, the same card. It's not first edition, and it might not be graded. Uh, and because it's not graded, 
and it's not first edition, it might be worth a thousand bucks. Now, if I if I oh. got that same card graded, could be worth twenty grand, fifteen grand. So why why wouldn't you get it graded then? Seems exactly. like you're just throwing your money. Exactly. Out. Well, grading it became a thing. It, it was always a thing, but during the pandemic, became even more of a thing. The company actually had to shut down uh, uh, incoming submissions, and now it's like I, I I don't even know what the current prices are. Like a hundred and hundred dollars per card, maybe fifty dollars per card. Um, mm. you know, and it's time consuming. Yes, you get quite the payoff. Uh, but also Pokemon cards from back. Now, why are we spending time? With no, but are you surprised that you've had sex with a woman? <laughs> yes, I have had sex with a woman. I have children. Right. No, but I'm not, I know you have, but I'm asking you if you are surprised no. that you have, right? Like, can you go from this conversation talking about Pokemon on the couch next to your wife? And then she's like, oh yeah, John, <laughs> time to go. I got, I got to tell you, when I'm doing my card thing, she's not usually around. She's not She's not unsupportive. I have probably one of the coolest wives out there. You're, you're quite the big secret nerd. <laughs> you know, as I've told people, uh, I've kind of gone across all spectrums. You know, I, I drank myself into a liver problem. I, I collect figurines. I collect Pokemon cards. I spent four to five nights at a club. Also, another thing I need to bring up, I want your opinion on real fast. Okay. We ordered a pizza uh, this week for dinner. Had it delivered. The delivery driver shows up in a Corvette, a Chevy, like a newer Corvette. Unexpected vehicle. They pulled up in my driveway, and I was like, Melissa, my wife, are are we we expecting anybody or something? (laughs) Nope. Out out comes this kid with, with our pizza. Just like, whoa. What if this guy's hustling, right? Like, he's doing fine on his own, and he was... Got the Corvette on his own, and then something happened to a family member, and he's like, I'm going to step up and deliver pizzas for him. So you're making a pretty big judgment call, and I don't think that you should knock people's hustle like that and, quite frankly, apologize to the guy. You should order a pizza again, make sure it's him, and then say, hey, man, I'm sorry for judging you. You don't know what's going on in people's Once again, you're right. I I just was wondering. It it just seemed out of place to me. It's like going to a football or hockey game or whatever, and someone shows up in a suit. You know, like, why are you wearing a suit to a sporting event? It's weird. Let people be themselves, right? You want to collect – how are you going to call out anybody when you're having a roundtable discussion weekly about tabletop games, Pokemon cards, and collectible figurines? And you're going to cast shade or cast aspersions at somebody driving up in a Corvette? No, I, I, I wasn't casting anything. I just wanted your opinion. It just – it struck me as one of – something from my week that I was like, whoa. I can tell you that the license plate of the car that cut me off today – was hot rod in the number one. So take that for what you want. I had a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, Chris Gad, uh, who <laughs> thought that he would get the vanity license plate ass rammer. And he didn't, he never understood like, yeah, we were encouraging him so much. Yeah, yeah man, you should get ass rammer. You should get it. Anyway. For those of you who don't know you- Nick uh, personally, he is quite the uh, instigating uh, I'm gonna say this with conviction, but you're you're an invinced in uh, instigating. Are you gonna say you're gonna say it with conviction? Hey, call that number. Uh, <laughs> you know the call the voicemail number where Nick just rambles for a minute. It's actually cool. oh, I love our voicemail. Um, We've gotten compliments. Yeah, Nick sends. So Nick's. I don't think it's out there yet. It could be right in the future. It's kind of like out there in the way that. You know, it's just like we've done it, but we haven't actually told anybody about it besides like saying the number too fast on our last episode yeah. for anybody to actually get it. But 
But we have a voicemail. Let's do this. I want you to cut our voicemail message in a wrestling manner. Go. I, I oh, he man. cracked under pressure. I, was, I wanted to make fun of you. I don't want to do the wrestling thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready. I wanted to make fun of you this time. This was your shot, right? Vince nice. McMahon, before he retired, just called up oh, John Shaw and said, hey, cut me a promo right now, I can't, kid. I, I, I can't. And you peed the I, bed. I did. You know what? I'm not even, you know, I'm getting to the point now to where it's like, I'm not even sure I would want to be a professional wrestler. I like watching it too much. Another part of my nerdum. Is your shirt inside out? Yeah, that's what I do when I can't really, like, my shirts get so nasty. Not nasty, but, like, where they're so out of style that I can't really wear them anymore. So I turn them inside out. <laughs> and you... <laughs> like, remember when everybody was kind of buying, like, superhero t-shirts? Yeah. And that's phased out? Well, this is a superhero t-shirt, but now I just turn it inside out and I can wear it again. Cool story. I got some uh, good names here that I'm hopefully not going to mess up. Lee Fox, uh, Tommy Dunn, Lance Greenwood, not to be confused with Lee Greenwood. God bless the USA. Uh, Bob Hammett, Matt Strange, Luis Hugo, Simon Hirsch, Quinlan Brown, and Joe Cox. You don't hear a lot of Quinlans. That's a good name, though. It is. It's a very good name. Quinlan. Different. Quinlan. Right? And that's the kind of person that you don't really have an immediate idea of what they look like. <laughs> like other people, like as soon as you hear the name, you're not that surprised Yeah. when you see them. But a Quinlan, you don't really know what that's going to be like yeah, that much. Interesting. Okay. All right. I got a couple of... Uh bangers for you okay uh let's hear let's it see are you a uh say you're at the poker table you a uh go all in kind of guy or are you gonna play conservative or are you a fold kind of guy i have never played poker Jesus. okay uh blackjack oh i'm pretty conservative man <laughs> right i mean i'm gonna play the strategy that is in place but i'm never really going to risk it you gotta see i'm a risker like i'll I'll be playing online and i'll maybe i'll go 50 bucks up and then i'll go you know what i want to double my money so i'll put in the 50 50 chip and then i'll lose it all and then i'll say god damn it i lost it all i don't think that i have ever bet more than 40 dollars. well bravo to you sir it's too stressful for me man i can't handle it I I can't handle it. I can't handle the yeah. The stress of losing the money is nowhere near the excitement of winning it for me. The one thing the pandemic took away from me, which it took away a lot, but it took away dollars out of my pocket because of fucking Korean baseball. You're watching Korean baseball. <laughs> I, I, I was. Uh, you know. Well, that was the only thing, right? When all this. Oh, that was the only thing yeah. sport going on, wasn't yeah. it? What, you know, and, and we had just had my youngest daughter, so I was up at one, two, three in the morning, and Korean baseball was on. Isn't that crazy that that's two years ago, right? Like, I know I mean, we're not going it. Let's not get into the whole, are we still in it, that kind of stuff. But the beginning of it was two years ago now, two and a half yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, more than that. Feels like forever, but also yesterday, at the same time. Yeah, you think back on it, and uh, yeah, I mean, 
it, it's it's kind of nutty, man. Uh, would you rather have two brains or two hearts? Well, two brains. Because hmm. you'd be twice as smart. See, I kind of figured you might jump to that conclusion. But listen to this. If you have two hearts, you could be like the perfect athlete because you're going to be in the best cardiovascular shape ever. Yeah, but your brain would be spending so much energy running that stuff that you'd be a dumb shit and not know what to do in the sport. Mm-hmm. Right? You'd be like, me ball. <laughs> Throw me ball. Plus, it doesn't mess. It's just you would have better cardiovascular endurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, dude, because you don't have two lungs. Mm-hmm. You need two lungs for that. Like, you still got to breathe. Well, you're... So it's like having two gas tanks on a car. It doesn't really change that so you, much. You just got more. You just have more gas. So, so you mean that you'd have to have four lungs? Is what you're saying? You, whatever. I'm yeah, just saying, four. Lungs. I mean, you're, you're calling me out. I just gotta, you know, I just gotta, just gotta. Say, you're right. Sorry, you're sorry. right. But I always think of the lungs as one thing as opposed to two. No, you'd much rather have a two brains. I don't know, man. I think, I think, although the, your head would look pretty weird. I mean, imagine the, the endurance and stamina you'd have for sex with all that blood pumping. You know what I mean? Well, probably like not as much, man. Fucking I don't know if that would change anything. Like an, and what's the point of doubling it from 30 seconds to a minute? My wife would be happier. <laughs> yeah. That's about that's about Because she ain't happy no, right man, now. And two brains. Think of how smart you'd be. Well, I guess you're a dumbass, and you probably wouldn't be. You'd just be normal. Let's be honest. <laughs> Could you imagine if, like, if that was your fate in life, that you had two hearts or two brains, and you were still like stupid and unathletic? <laughs> like, oh, I got. He's got two hearts. Oh, he's a fantastic athlete. No, not really. Well, it's they're both kind of crappy. Like, well, he's got two brains, but his IQ in both is only sixty. So it's really just like he's just a little smarter than most people. It's it's kind of like being you know tall and skinny and not being able to play uh, you know like basketball well. Right. Yeah. You feel like Jesus was was tall or short? We're not getting into religion. Just if you're picturing Jesus in your mind, how tall is he? I mean, thinking back to those times that that he was. No, modern day, modern, modern day. day. If you were to picture modern day Jesus, how tall do you think modern day Jesus would be? Probably five eight, five nine. I'm I'm gonna say six one. I mean, I I don't think. Well, he wouldn't be real tall. I bet he'd be like 5'11". That's where you're like, oh, a little bit of both, right? Like, he's not that tall. He's kind of tall. I, don't, I, I think he would just be a normal-looking man, tall-wise, if, if he was, you know. I'd be like 5'9". Yeah. If I had to choose, I would say a little short, but average is what I would choose if I had to. Can we just move on? I don't want to talk about Okay, fine, like, fine. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is the segment people wait for, man. It's oh, you doing it? I thought you were gonna pass no, on. No, it's candle of the month time. Well, first of all, we don't go into your we don't go into your questions and then do candle of the month. Well, I thought we, so. Now you have to finish your questions and then do it. Well, I already finished the questions, but I feel like you had one question. That was no, it. I, You're phoning it in. No. This is getting to your head. This is getting it's to your. Not, head. I asked you right. You do no. two questions in a current event. And I, then you do Scandal of the Month. And now you're just bypassing the whole rest of the show. You, I didn't. I, I asked you're getting, you. It's getting to your head. It's getting to your head. No. I asked you two questions. <laughs> what were the two questions? Uh, would you rather have two hearts or two uh, two brains? Right. Okay. And then, uh, hold on. I got to go back to my notes because I already forgot the first one. Uh, oh, shit. Where did it go? 
Uh, anyways, let's let's go into the candle of the month, all right? Because that's what people are here mm. for. Hold on, uh, we got to come up with a, like a thing for it. The outlaw. We got to do like a western. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> candle. It's time for the candle, candle of the month with the outlaw candle connoisseur, <laughs> John Shull. What's the candle of the month? All right. So listen, I need y'all. Oh, I even said y'all to head over to Yankee Candle. Check this one out. Going into August, everyone's outside. It's a nice time of the year. Uh, it's starting to get it's hot as shit. It's starting mean, to get kind of cooler at night towards the back end of August, really hot during the day. So what's better than a little lakefront lodging? You know what I mean? So head over to Yankee Candle. Check out this candle. It's called Lakefront Lodge. It's described as a brisk and cool night overlooking the evergreens as the moon reflects off the lake. Has a 4.9 rating out of 5. $16 currently. Wish I had a coupon code to give coupon code to give you, but uh, I don't have that just yet. So, but check it out, Lake okay. Lakefront Lodge. That's the candle of the month. <laughs> how, what now? How many candles do you evaluate out of the number of candles that you consume in a month? Which is how many? Uh, I, I mean, the summer they're usually burning all year round or all, all day long usually. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I think. I'm trying. I'm trying to think as I say this. Probably went through a dozen candles in July. So how many of those are like, ooh, that could be candle of the month potential? Uh probably about half. I mean, you know, mm. but I- kind of sounds like you're not really being very discerning. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, I will say this: my selection was from like four or five different places for July. It wasn't very um, all over the place, but. Yankee Candle, I don't think I've showcased them before. If I have, it's been a while, so. There can't be that many candle stores. Oh. Honestly, I know of Yankee Candle and Bed Bath & Beyond, and I think of Bed Bath & Beyond as more of a retailer than I think of a candle-specific one. I mean, go to Etsy, go to Amazon, see all the, uh, the you know, I don't know what you want to call them, smaller companies that, that make different kinds of candles. A lot of different. Could names. you make your could you make your own candles? Yeah, I mean, anyway, it's not actually very hard. Um, but have you done it? I've not. So you don't actually know? Uh, no, I don't know. I can tell you this: right. like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say being a pilot is easy if I've never done it. I mean, I, right? Like, I mean, you just kind of pull the stick back, pull the stick forward, oh boy, pull the stick see, steady. See, don't be mad because my candle of the month is amazing. Did you just lick your earbud and put it in your ear? I, I did. I mean, you're a former reporter. Huh. The, yeah, I've never oh. fucking took something out of my ear, licked it, and then put it, was, it in my it ear. Get, it was getting a little dry, so I needed to lubricate it a little bit. Okay, well, now I'm going to try this. It does feel a little <laughs> bit better. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted to be like, at first I was like, that does nothing. Oh, yeah, it's not bad. It's not as and it's not as extreme for those of you who are listening. It's to this. pretty. I've never seen anybody do it oh, before. Well, honestly, I've seen a lot of people do it, probably including you a dozen years ago. I'm gonna try it on my other ear. <laughs> it does feel, but it, see, that's that's is the problem, man. What's that? This is the problem. Once you do it, you can't go back. Yeah, I mean, I've done it on here before. You just 
I've now noticed it. I just noticed it right now. So for people who are listening and have the temptation <laughs> to take their earbuds out, touch them to your tongue and put them back in your ear, do not do it. Because now I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> ears are getting a little dry right now. <laughs> well, but you need the ones with the rubber tips. Like you can't do them with like I or AirPods or whatever, the, you know, straight plastic ones. They have to have that rubber covering on them. Mm. Man, poking your eardrum hurts like a motherfucker. Yeah, bro. Do you think, what do you think hurts more? Poking your eardrum with a Q-tip or getting hit in the genitals? In terms of like your body sending you a signal like, don't do that. The eardrum for sure. Because the genitals is eventually going to wane after a couple of minutes. The eardrum, which I've done, it just kind of lingers for for many minutes, if not half a day. Oh, what did you do? And for me, it's just like, oh! Oh, man, I... And it's gone after a couple of seconds. Like, you you probably should go to the... I don't know what an ear doctor is called. My wife has ruptured her eardrum before. Oh. Yeah. I thought they couldn't fix it. Uh, well, she, she, well, <laughs> she ruptured hers because of a, uh, like a cold, like she let the cold, uh, she let the cold go too long and it, uh, got into her ear pretty deep and ruptured her eardrum. Did they fix yeah, it? Yeah, she, well, she doesn't listen very well, but. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Anyways. Nice. That was good. That was good. That was good. All right. Are you ready for our top five? I, I am pretty excited. It's harder than you think it is. Now, look. So our top five is top five bands. Oh, wait, no. Top five band names. Mine is based not only on the name itself, Mm -hmm. but how well the name prepares you for the type of music that the band is, right? So it can't just be a – it can't be an awesome band name that sounds like cool and modern and they play polka music. Like it also has to match the genre of music to really elevate itself, I feel like. Okay. What's your number five? Uh, just to throw this out there, I went with a couple of bands that I love and a couple of bands that the names are just so fucking ridiculous. So okay. my number five is Limp Biscuit. A good name, but the band has ruined itself. Where like now I don't like it. Well, I, I liked Limp Biscuit, uh, and I think the name was is, is pretty fitting for that era of music. Just a stupid ass band name, but they rock out. They're alternative, um, and it's you kind of remember it. I mean, no matter what genre of music you liked back in the late '90s, early 2000s, you know at least what Limp Biscuit is. My number five is Simon and Garfunkel, only because of Garfunkel. Like Garfunkel. For that kind of music, that's the perfect. Like, oh. if you saw that guy and had never heard his name before, his name, like, what's that guy's name? Well, probably like Garfunkel. And then he would introduce himself as, like, my name's Garfunkel. You're like, yeah, it's exactly what I thought your name would be. I mean, I guess so. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty weak number five. I hope your list gets a little better, to be honest. Well, oh, let's, let's, Limp Biscuit fan over there. Uh, my number four is, are, is uh, I'm sorry, my number four are the Meat Puppets. That's a pretty good name. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know what kind of what kind of um, what kind of music is that though? Is it alternative? Yeah, of course. Probably probably more considered like grungy, I would think. My number four is uh, Funkadelic. Oh my god, man! <laughs> uh, we're like going like in different times here. 
by the way. Well, the Meat Puppets were like the late 80s, early 90s, but... <laughs> oh, mine are pretty old. Yeah, yours are pretty old, man. Um, Par- I think it's actually Parliament Funkadelic. By Parliament Funkadelic. It's kind of funny. That's a good name. It, it is kind of funny that that's your number four, because like, the Meat Puppets are, like I said, they were alternative, kind of psychedelic, a little bit of grunge, blah, 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 but more of psychedelic than anything. And uh, here you go with Funkadelic. <laughs> Sweet. To number three. Uh, <laughs> number three is Hole. That is a good. <laughs> but is that like a good name? It's an original name where you're like, oh, that is a good band name. But it's not like just using a word that people use in conversation, I feel like, doesn't quite. That's the but, only thing that I would have against it. Like, it's a common word. But I mean, it was. Like, the Beatles. But I mean, it was obviously it led was, by. I believe they had one man in the group. The rest were women, led by Courtney Love. And the the band name was Hole for a guy. I mean, it's just another one of those names to where uh, this isn't on my list, but like Queen, ACDC. Like one word band names, uh, even though ACDC, I guess, is four letters, but whatever. You know, where, where you're just like, oh, I know who they are. And Hole, Hole is the same way for me. My number three. Wait, are we number three? My number three. My number three is a one-word band name, and I think it's perfect for that kind of music, is Slayer. Slayers? I mean, that that's a good one. That's I, I, ha, I was thinking about them and, like, Guns N' Roses, but, uh, yeah, Slayer Slayer's pretty badass. Yeah, that's a good name, especially for that. That's what I mean. Like, it has to match the type of music that it is, too, like Slayer. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Right? Yeah, man. So... My number two, kind of like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go of like a mixture of like '80s hair bands. It's like Motley Crue, Def Leppard, those kind of bands, those kind of band names. Again, though, that's one for me that the band ruins it a little bit. Kind of like Limb Biscuit. Then when I think of Motley Crue, which is a good name, yeah. Def Leppard's a good name too. But the band, like, look. When you see them, you're like, wait, that's the Motley Crew? <laughs> These dudes with long hair and leather jackets? But, like, but I mean... Not worried. Right? Like, if you're if you're in a bar and you and your buddies are getting ready to square off against the Motley Crew, and you're like, oh, crap. And then these guys walk in, you're like, oh. I mean... Okay. I, I don't know, man. Get that five. I mean, I don't know. What's your number two? <sighs> Mannheim Steamroller. <laughs> Only because of the ironicness of that name. Well, like Mannheim Steamroller, you're like, yeah, oh. Well, that's a uh, well done, sir. Well done. Mannheim Steamroller sounds like they're about to some shit up. Yeah, that's a good. And then it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, man. I'm actually Mannheim Steamroller is a good one. Quite right? surprised. Uh, all right, my number one. Are the butthole surfers? Mmm, that's just funny, <laughs> right? No, it, like, even if you're like 90 years old and know nothing about that music, like, what's your band name, Jimmy? <laughs> butthole surfers. <laughs> Once again, right? It's just one of those names where you're like, oh, I I know who they are. They're the butthole surfers. You know, it's, it's awesome. Mine's like that. Pussy Riot. Okay, pussy. <laughs> Is it, it's a good one, right? Like, pussy Riot. Try not to say pussy like pussy that. Pussy Cat right? Dolls. <laughs> no, that's a terrible no. one. Pussy Riot is good. <laughs> it's 
it's weird how like okay so the pussycat dolls and pussy riot like pussycat dolls there's no way you can take them seriously right like you know what this is all about like it's crappy music and attractive women pussy riot like woo <laughs> that's a band like right like they're women and they're to they're gonna stuff up <laughs> yeah i guess so. like, that's gonna be a good that's gonna be a good show what's on your honorable mention i got tons yeah of i mean uh I'll let you go over your list, but one one name I do want to throw out there is Chumba Wumba. Yeah, that is a good name. Yeah. What, what what's on your list? Uh, Grateful Dead. Okay, it's a good name for that kind of music. All right. I had the Butthole Surfers. I had a uh, Dead Mal. Dead Mal, which is maybe not that great of a name, but a great that he kind of started that. Like, oh, that's a good name for that kind of music. Mm-hmm. Black Sabbath, which I could throw anywhere on that list from one to five, yeah. honestly. I, yeah, I, I had them on the, my well, my honorable mention too. And Arcade Fire. Okay, Arcade Fire. That's it's pretty badass. That's a good name, right? What do you the got? Highwaymen, uh, the Clash. Uh, mm, I'm just trying to think of the the good ones. The Flaming Lips, nice uh, Beastie Boys. And uh, that's that's probably that's probably ones I'll bring up. Yeah, those. I'll end on the Beastie Boys because they're just fucking awesome in themselves. What would you? What is what is a band name that you can think of that is like, oh, that's a bad band name? Usually, any that have like numbers that they, you know, uh, that they have like five, right? Like the boy band five, Maroon five, right? Yeah, like or anything like that. Yeah, or uh, like ninety eight degrees, or you know, any of those like numbered. Uh, uh, band names are pretty terrible. Yeah, I can't think of a single good band name that has numbers in it. I, I also think that, like, if you're gonna have just your own name, y- you need to have like a good strong name. Like John Denver Sim- is a good, like, yeah. that's a good single. You know, um, Barry Manilow, not a good single name. Art Garfunkel. <laughs> Exactly right, you know. Uh, He's a badass. Uh, Steve Perry, weak as hell. That's a weak name. Yeah. yeah. What about Weird Al Yankovic, <laughs> which is to me perfect, and I almost put it on one of my best bad band names. Uh, nah, I mean, I I don't know. I, I guess. I mean, what? Why? Because is. He has weird, like the weird in front of his first name. He just matches that kind of music exactly. Ones that, you know what, now that I think about honorable mentions that we probably should have put in there, or at least I should have put in there, Public Enemy. That's a good one. Yeah, Public Enemy. Outcast. Eh, Outcast is, I love Outcast, but the name is, it's okay. But, okay, the name isn't great, but the way they spell it is what makes it. Like when you see it designed, you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty. I mean, I I would say the same thing about Eminem, but that's all, I'm also biased. Right, because he's from Detroit, and you've always wanted to be from Detroit, but you live outside in the suburbs with no air conditioning and Pokemon cards. Oh, boy, here we go. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating, a review, and remember, even though we haven't really started to integrate it that much yet, We do have a voicemail set up for the show. We would love to hear from you. That number is in the episode description. It's 316-530-7719. If there's anything that you want to say or 
about this episode or comment or anything like that, let us know. Love to hear from you. Again, that number is 316-530-7719. There's just so many good band names. But I think to really be a good band name, it doesn't. It can't just be like two cool words or a phrase or anything like that. I think it also has to symbolize what that music is about. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.